Welcome to The Word at First Pres. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be doing a short two-sermon sermon series on Choose Love, Be the Light, Change the World, our tagline that we repeat at First Pres after every service. I hope you enjoy. Let us continue worship with our first scripture reading, coming from Mark 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 37. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So for this particular sermon, I'm doing something that I have actually never done before. I am going to be doing a two-sermon sermon series. I don't even know if that's a thing, if two sermons comprise a sermon series, but that's what we're going to be doing. And the reason why I'm doing these two sermons now is because in the normal course of things, I've been wanting to do these sermons, but they haven't really fit in to any of my other sermon series. And since Lent came early this year and we have a gap before we begin our summer series, I thought this was a good time to do these two sermons. Now, this particular sermon, it comes out of a conversation that I had around a session meeting about two years ago. But before I can tell you about that conversation, I need to tell you what the session is, because there are some people who are watching who don't know what that word means. So the session is essentially an old word, and it's talking about the leadership board at our church that is comprised of elders. Now, when I was a kid and I would go to my church, it was a Presbyterian church, I would hear the pastor talk about elders, and I thought that he was just talking about a bunch of old people. And when it comes to the Presbyterian church, that's not too far off, but the fact is, is that that word, elder, it comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which literally uh, refers to our name. It is where Presbyterian comes from. And so when you hear, oh, I go to a Presbyterian church, what that tells you is that we are talking about a system of governance. It's literally telling you how we run our church, and it is run by elders. Now that word elder, it does refer to people who are older, but really it has the connotation of people who have a lot of wisdom because they have lived experience. If you go back in time and you look at when humans were living in villages and tribes, at the center of those villages and tribes were a group of elders that the community looked towards to be able to make decisions because these were the people who had the wisdom to be able to make educated decisions. And this is what we do in this church. We follow what happened in the early church, which is we look to elders to help us lead the church forward and make the best decisions. So that's what the session is. This brings me back to the conversation. Two years ago, there's 21 elders sitting around this very large table in our boardroom, and we're talking about the mission of the church. 
And it came up that maybe we should come to you all, the congregation, and ask you how the mission of the church is going. And one elder piped up and said, well, Alex, don't take this the wrong way, but I don't think most people are going to be able to answer that question because I don't think most people know what the mission of the church is. I'm an elder. I don't know what the mission of the church is. And a lot of people around the table, they agreed with that sentiment. And I said, well, what about choose love, be the light, change the world? Is that not the mission of our church? And another elder chimed in and said, well, Alex, that's a tagline, not a mission. And again, the elders around the table agreed. Now, I will tell you that this conversation took me aback because on the one hand, they were right. I realized very quickly in that meeting that most people in this church don't know what the mission is. That in fact, if the elders don't know, and the elders are some of the most dedicated people to the church, if they don't know what the mission is, then most people aren't. And I also realized that me saying, choose love, be the light, change the world at the end of every service, I was assuming everybody understood that was the mission of the church. And so I did some reflection and I realized there was a disconnect. And the only person to blame for that disconnect was me. Because ultimately, I'm the one who's responsible for conveying that to you. Now, when we chose, choose love, be the light, change the world, to represent our church, I did do some preaching about it, but that was five years ago. And so I can't expect that everybody's going to remember that or have been there for that sermon. And so these two sermons are meant to rectify the situation. I want to talk about how this tagline we use is really representative of the Christian mission, and it's what we're really all about here at First Presbyterian Church. So to begin, I want you to look at, you'll see here on the screen, there's this graphic that talks about Choose Love, Be the Light, Change the World. If you're watching on the website, then you can actually get access to an entire page of this that explains all of what this is about. But what you can see at the top there is that the first thing is create the kingdom. Now, the question is, why do we start with this? Well, we start with this because this is where Jesus starts. If you read the Gospel of Mark, which is the first gospel that was written about Jesus's life, the first thing that he says is what we find in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. It's literally the first thing that he says. He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. Now, what this tells us is that Jesus's mission is to create the kingdom of God. So that's where we have to start. We have to start examining that, which of course begs a very important question. What exactly is the kingdom of God? We can't talk about this unless we understand what that is. Now, I've talked about this on other occasions and other sermons, but we're going to focus on this for a little while right now so we're all on the same page. So the kingdom of God, it represents a future state of the world, at least for the people in Jesus's day and time. So the people in Jesus' day and time, they lived very hard lives. And they were very much looking forward to and they believed in the kingdom of God because things were so hard. It was basically something that they felt would bring them a better life. So what you have to appreciate is that at the time, the economic circumstances were really, really bad. Many people, they were very deep in debt 
And as a result, you had farmers, peasants who were having to sell their land in order to remediate that debt. And so people were out of work, they were out of money, and they were out of faith that the government actually cared about them and was going to help them. So their only hope was a prophecy that had been spoken about many generations earlier by the wise men and the sages. And this prophecy talked about how one day God was going to send a Messiah, a Savior who was going to lead the Jewish people and upend all of the human kingdoms of the world, basically destroy all the nations of the earth. And all of those nations, once they had been obliterated, they would be replaced with one singular nation, which would be called the kingdom of God. Now, what makes the kingdom of God different from all of these other nations is that it's attempting to correct all of the injustice, the inequity, the unfairness that people dealt with in the world. So in God's kingdom, everybody has something to eat. Everybody has clothes on their back. Everybody has a roof over their head. Everybody's treated for their illnesses. No one is forgotten. And so this is why when you hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, he basically is discussing or describing it as a world that is very much upside down. So in his world, he says that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So the idea is that in God's kingdom, what you find is that the wealthiest person in the world is equal with the poorest peasant. In essence, the kingdom of God is a reflection of what we find in Genesis chapter 1, the first page of the Bible where it says that all humans are created in the image and the likeness of God. And so that's what the kingdom of God is doing, is it's bringing that equality to bear in the real world. So that's the kingdom of God. That's, that's, that's the kingdom in a nutshell. The next aspect we have to talk about is how does the kingdom come about? How is it created? So essentially, there are two different ways that Christians believe that the kingdom of God will come about. The first way is that it will be created by Jesus himself. Literally, Jesus is the one who has to make it, which means that Jesus would have to come back from heaven, basically wave a magic wand and transform the earth into the kingdom of God. The second way that Christians believe it will happen is that essentially Jesus intends for his disciples to create the kingdom of God in the present. Now, if you believe in the former way of thinking, which many Christians do, which is that they believe Jesus is going to come back and he's going to create the kingdom, then your job as a Christian is to essentially prepare yourself and wait for the kingdom of God to come. On the other hand, if you believe in the latter version of things, then what that means is you are Jesus' hands and feet in the world, and it is your job to create God's kingdom on earth here and now. Now, if you've ever listened to me preach or you know anything about me, you know that I believe in the latter, that it is our responsibility. Now, in order for us to be able to create the kingdom of God, this is where we come back to the choose love, be the light, change the world graphic. We have to go down two parallel paths at the same time. And these two parallel paths they fuel and serve the other. You need both of them at the same time in order to create the kingdom. So these two parallel paths are social work and soul work. Social work and soul work. So social work is what we talk about with Matthew 25. 
That's where Jesus tells us you have to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, care for the sick, visit those who are in prison. It also has to do with Mark 11. And in Mark 11, that's where Jesus tells his disciples that they need to follow in his footsteps and they need to overturn systems of injustice that are preventing people from being able to experience the fullness of life that God intended for the creation. Soul work, on the other hand, is what we find in Mark chapter 8. That is what I read to you this morning. And in that, it says that anyone who wants to become Jesus' disciple... They must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. In essence, what it's saying is that Christians have to live a life of sacrifice. So what we're going to be focusing on today is soul work. Next week, we'll come back to social work. But what we're going to talk about today will lay the foundation for what we're going to be discussing going forward. So let's start with soul work. What is soul work? So soul work is essentially the transformation we have to go through internally within ourselves to become like Jesus. It's basically how we change ourselves to be like Jesus in the world. And this requires two different elements on our part. The first thing that it requires is that we create a deep connection with God in our hearts. This is often referred to as our spirituality. And the second way this happens is that we have to change the thinking in our minds. So basically what you have is you have your heart and your mind. These are the two things that we have to focus on for soul work. Let's begin with the heart. We're going to talk about creating this connection with God. So how do you go about doing this? Well, most people, when they hear soul work, they automatically think of, oh, well, I need to read the Bible, and I need to pray and meditate, and I need to go to church and worship. And these things certainly are going to enhance your spirituality. There's no doubt about that. But what's fascinating is when you turn to Jesus in the New Testament, he goes kind of in a very different direction with this. He tells us, particularly in Mark 8, that if you want to have a deep connection with God, that you need to be willing to sacrifice. Now, this is a question that you should be raising in your mind is, how is it that sacrifice helps me to create a deep spiritual connection with God? So, to answer this, we have to look at what he says in Mark chapter 8. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus talks about how if you want to be his disciple, you take up your cross and follow him. Now, I want you to just think about something for a second when he says to take up your cross. The cross, let's remember this, is what the Roman government used to execute Jesus. And I'm sure some of you at home right now, you're probably wearing a cross. Now, if you're wearing a cross as a piece of jewelry, right, it's probably a sign that you're a Christian, that you follow Jesus. But you have to remember, the cross is an execution machine. If you're wearing a bracelet that has a cross on it, that's the equivalent of wearing a bracelet that has an electric chair on it because it is an execution device. And so because of what Jesus endured on the cross, Christians have come to see that the cross is a symbol, or we believe that the cross is a metaphor or a symbol for sacrifice. And so if you're going to be a Christian... What that means is is that Jesus expects you to be willing to sacrifice everything for him. This type of sacrifice is called the denial of self. Now, I am the first person 
to admit to you that self-denial is a very tough concept to wrap your mind around. But if you are able to understand what he's talking about here, in my opinion, then you're going to really be able to understand what he means by sacrifice allowing you to have a deep spiritual connection with God. So let's break it down into its most basic parts. So all of us, all human beings, I think a universal value that all of us have is we are all driven by the need for food, shelter, clothing. All of us have that. There are other needs that we all have too, but really those are at the top. You need to have those things, and if you don't have them, you'll have trouble surviving. Indeed, we are propelled to work in the world in order to be able to make sure that we have those things. We want to make sure that we have food, shelter, clothing. And indeed, those things are the reason why humans can be very selfish. You may not consider yourself to be a selfish person, but if I take away your food, your shelter, your clothing, then you will likely become selfish in the moment because these are things that we all need to get by. And so what many people do not realize is that our drive for success in the world is really a result of trying to make sure that we don't have to worry about those things. Because if you're really successful, if you have a lot of money, then those worries are going to recede to the back of your mind. If you have a lot of money, you're not worried about where your next meal is coming from. You're not worried about paying the rent. You're not worried about getting clothes. You're not worried about any of that. It just goes away. Whereas if you don't have money, you're constantly thinking about that. Am I going to be able to afford this meal? To afford to be able to pay the rent? Am I going to be able to afford this clothing? Now you would think that if you were in the category of being well off and successful, that you would have enough money for yourself and then you would just say, oh, let me just give away my money to the people who don't have as much. But that's not the way it works. In fact, the reason why it doesn't work that way is because there's this primal voice in the back of our heads that's always whispering to us. And what that voice is saying is, you may not have enough for tomorrow. So you need to hold on to what you have. Don't let go of it. Don't give it away. Because what if tomorrow everything goes away and you need that in order to survive? And so this voice is constantly talking to us. So... What this brings us back to is this idea of self-denial, and this is really what self-denial is all about. It's about dampening or completely getting rid of that voice in the back of your mind. It's about not allowing those needs, food, shelter, clothing, to direct our lives, to be the driver of our lives. And so when you die to yourself, that's the whole idea, right? You're dying to yourself. You're letting go of the concerns of the world. You're not worried about getting everything that the world has to offer, and you're letting go of all of those things. And the people who have really mastered this idea, what Jesus is talking about, they are much more concerned, once they have gotten rid of that voice and they're not driven by those needs, they're much more concerned with serving others than they are with serving themselves. They realize that it's more important to gain for others than it is to gain for themselves. And so the idea is that once you release yourself from the worries of survival, once you release yourself from the worries of the self, that is what allows you to become selfless. So the more you can divest yourself of having to fulfill those needs, the more you're going to be able to find a spiritual connection with God. For Jesus, 
It is that internal monologue, that primal voice, and those needs that get in the way of your spiritual connection with God. And the more you can get rid of those, the more you can sacrifice those things, the more you're able to have that connection. Now, I refer to this way of being, if you've been around, you've heard me say this, I refer to this as the resurrected life. Because you have to go through a death and resurrection just like Jesus did. So you have to be willing to kill off those selfish parts of yourself. And what I mean by that is you've got to kill off that voice in the back of your mind. You've got to kill off that need, the desire to want to have food, shelter, clothing, to always be gaining for yourself. You kill that off and you allow something new and selfless to rise in this place. You will essentially go through a resurrection like Jesus did. Now, I think for many people, that's the first step, right, is you have to deal with that. That's the connection that I'm talking about, the first, that, that first component of connecting with God in your heart, is that you have to have, get rid of that thing that's in between so that you can have this connection. But you can't just do this all by yourself. It's not that easy to just jump into it and say, okay, I'm just going to go down the road and deny myself, and boom, I'm done, right? It has to also come as a result of a lot of effort on your part in other areas. And this is where you have to go down the road of changing your thinking in your mind. So it's not so easy that you can just do it. You have to go down a particular path, and that path is known as the way in Christianity. Now, the way is really comprised of Jesus's teachings, particularly his teachings that are found in the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, these teachings, they are deceptively challenging. You can read a lot of what he says there, and you can think to yourself, oh, I can do this no problem. But what you come to realize is that it actually takes years and even decades to master these because they are so counterintuitive to our natural way of being. It is not natural for us to want to give away our money so that we can connect with God. It's not natural for us to want to stand up for the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized. It's not natural for us to want to love our enemy and pray for those who are trying to hurt us. So those are not natural ways of being. And so if you want to live out Jesus' teachings, you have to kill off, literally go through a death and resurrection. You've got to kill off those parts of yourself and let something new rise in its place. So let's go back and look at each of those examples. So your inclination is not to want to let go of your money. Because why? Because that voice is in the back of your mind, that primal voice saying, hold on to this. You need this for yourself. Don't let go of it. So you have to sacrifice that part of yourself and let it go so that you can let go of your money. The same thing is true when it comes to being able to stand up for the oppressed and the marginalized and the poor. Our natural inclination is for us to not want to have to do that because in our back of our minds, we're like, well, you got to be safe. Don't stand up and try to help those people. You know, you need to worry about you first. Don't worry about them. Just take care of yourself. So you got to sacrifice. you got to kill that part of yourself off and allow Jesus' way to stand in place. The same thing comes when it comes to loving your enemy. Your natural inclination is to hate those who have caused you harm. Your natural inclination is to get even with them, to seek retribution. So if you're going to be the type of person who loves your enemy, you have to kill off that part of yourself to be able to live out Jesus' way. And this is so critically important. 
The idea that you're going to have to go through a death and resurrection. You have to kill off a part of yourself and let something new. And sometimes you have to do it multiple times. You have to go through multiple iterations. You can be really good at giving away your money in one situation, but then find you're not so good in others. And so you're constantly having to work and change yourself in that way. And so in order to make this happen, in order to really take on Jesus' teachings, it requires lived experience. You can't just sit there and study the Bible and hope that you're going to be able to live out Jesus' teachings. It doesn't work that way. You have to live it out in the world. And that's why coming to a church is really important. People will say to me, why should I go to church anymore? I can just be a Christian on my own. And here's the reason why. is because you come to church to train. I look at the church as kind of like a dojo in martial arts. So in martial arts, you go to a dojo to train with the martial arts so you can take those skills out into the world. And dojo, by the way, it literally means place of the way. And Jesus's teachings are known as the way. So you come here. This is a dojo for Jesus's teachings. You come in here, and of course, you're around all these people who you wouldn't normally be around. Some people you like, some people you don't like, some people you agree with, some people you don't agree with. What it does is it forces you to take those teachings and to put them into action in the world. You practice them in here so that you can take them beyond the walls out into your life. So the resurrected life, it is so critical to you being able to build God's kingdom. Because all of that, learning Jesus' teachings, having to be able to divest yourself of all those needs and that voice in the back of your mind, that's the resurrected life. That is so critical to the creation of God's kingdom. Because if we're going to create God's kingdom, we have to be focused on the needs of other people. And if you are focused on yourself, if you're focused on fulfilling your own needs and desires, then you're not going to be able to really help and contribute to the creation of God's kingdom. So this is why soul work, what I've been talking about this morning, is so absolutely critical to what we're trying to do here at this church. If you are not able to change your mentality, if you're not willing to sacrifice what you have for the benefit of other people, then we're never going to be able to create the kingdom of God. You're never going to be able to contribute in a meaningful way. And so this is why at the core of soul work is the need for sacrifice. So often, as I said, when it comes to, when it comes to soul work, we think of, reading the Bible. Well, yes, that's important. You need to learn Jesus's teachings. We think of having to go out and to pray and to meditate. These are important. Coming to worship, as I said, being a part of community, that's really important. But when we look at Jesus, what he tells us is that if you truly want to gain a spiritual connection with God, you have to be willing to sacrifice. That has to be the top priority for you. Because when you sacrifice, when you kill off that selfish part of who you are, you allow a new selfless person to rise in its place, that is when you will achieve that spiritual connection, and that's when you can live out actually creating God's kingdom in the world. So that's soul work. That's what we came here to talk about today. Next week, we're going to talk about social work, which is the actual physical action of you going out into the world and creating the kingdom. Today was all about talking about you personally, internally. And next week, we're going to talk more about choose love, be the light, change the world, and why this really speaks to the Christian mission, which I'm sure some of you are like, he never really talked about that at all today, which I didn't because I needed to lay the foundation for what we're going to do. But as you will see, the choose love, be the light, change the world, that whole idea, it really fits so beautifully into what we're trying to do here and what Jesus expects of us. Today, what I want you to do is I want you to walk away from here 
And I want you to think about what are the things that I need to sacrifice in my life in order to live out the resurrected life? What are the ways that I need to become more selfless rather than selfish? What are the things that I need to kill off in terms of my selfishness to be able to serve other people? How do I need to study Jesus' teachings more closely so that I can come to embody them in my life so that I can become that resurrected person? Because the thing is, is that if we do not take on the soul work, if we don't take it seriously, if we're not willing to change our mentality and our entire way that we look at the world, the truth is we'll never be able to create God's kingdom. And my hope, and I think the hope of all of us here, is that one day God's kingdom will come to fruition so that we can choose love, be the light, and change the world. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.